2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. And the Bible says, And there were four lepers men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? Verse 4, If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now, therefore, having considered the options, now, therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. What a terrible time of need these men find themselves in. But I want to preach here for the next few moments simply this. The need for a need. The need for a need. Because I believe God is going to open somebody's understanding to what he can and will do in your time and place of need. And how God will use your need to take you places you've never been before. The need for a need. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your power, your presence, your anointing in this house. In the name of Jesus, we exercise our dominion. We bind every spiritual obstacle. We bind every spiritual hindrance, God. Loose your anointing in this house because where your spirit is, there is victory. Where your spirit is, there are breakthroughs. Where your spirit is, there are liftings and answers, God. Saturate this house from the front to the back with your anointing, God. Speak to us. Let us not just be hearers of this word, but let us be doers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. As Pastor Johns mentioned a bit earlier, I come from a missionary family. My parents, my family, we were missionaries in Liberia, West Africa. We spent some 33 years on the mission field in Liberia, and uh, and it's a unique upbringing, being an American, uh, being raised both abroad and here at home, and and I say all the time that it kind of gives you a kind of a holistic view as to who we are as a people, who we are as a culture, and how we're sometimes conditioned to see the world, and, and it's an interesting upbringing to kind of see uh, who we are from both the inside and the outside. And, and I will say on the, on the outset that I do believe there are many things to be admired about the American spirit. I, I do believe there are many admirable things that are woven into the fabric and that we would not be the nation that we are without certain of the characteristic traits that have been woven into the American spirit. I, I like our independence. I like that, that thing that kind of runs through us that says that if we need something to happen, that, that we can make it happen, that we we can be resourceful, that, that we can sacrifice, that we can be uh, creative, and if we need it, we can build it. I believe that we would not be the nation that we are if not for some uh, of those ideals and ideologies. But uh, on the other hand, I'm also concerned that I say all the time that if we're not careful, we'll come full circle and we'll be like the church of Laodicea in the Bible. The Bible says that the people in the church of Laodicea 
they had need for nothing. They had become so self-sufficient and so self-reliant and so self-capable that they had forgotten how to lean and to rely on God. And, and the problem with ever getting to that level of self-sufficiency and self-capability in your life is that it doesn't matter who you are here this morning. It doesn't matter how smart or creative or how resourceful you are. You will sooner or later find yourself in a time of need that you can't work your way out of. You're going to find yourself facing circumstances that you can't figure your way out of. There, there are some people in this house who have a testimony that you've already been there. There have been times in your life where you have faced circumstances that were beyond your ability to work out. And if you haven't been there, just live long enough and you'll learn that you will find yourself facing some things that you can't work out on your own. And in those times and places of need, you're going to have to be able to say, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. When I'm facing a circumstance that's beyond my ability to work out, let there be a God that I can turn to in my time of need, a God who can meet me at my point of need. I said a few moments ago that God is here this morning to meet you at your point of need. Uh, but I have to caution you that just as uh, assuredly as I know that God uh, wants to meet you at your point of need, uh, I can say with the same degree of confidence uh, that the enemy also wants to meet you uh, at your point of need. Uh, and there's nothing the enemy likes more than when uh, in your time and place of need uh, you begin to entertain his voice, uh, the voice of despair, the voice of discouragement, uh, the voice of disillusionment. Uh, but I've come to preach into somebody's spirit uh, that even in your time and place of need, uh, you can make up your mind. Uh, I'm not going to hear the voice of the enemy. Uh, I'm not going to hear the voice of despair. Uh, I'm not going to hear the voice uh, of discouragement. But even uh, in my time and place of need, uh, I can still hear the voice of destiny. Uh, I can still hear the voice of purpose. Uh, I can still hear the voice uh, of faith. Uh, I I can still believe the report of the Lord even in my time and place of need. It's often in our times and places of need where our, our, our faith is tested and uh, our ability to walk with God uh, is tested because uh, we're conditioned to see our times and uh, places of need as times and places uh, of weakness and vulnerability. Many times uh, it's in our times and places of need uh, where we begin to feel forsaken and forgotten by God. But I've come today to preach to somebody in this house, uh, your time and place of need uh, is not just a time and place of weakness uh, and vulnerability, uh, but your time and place of need uh, can also be a time and place uh, where you find yourself uniquely positioned uh, to see God do what only God can do. Uh, you find yourself uniquely positioned uh, to see the supernatural uh, and the radical take place in your life. Uh, if you're here this morning uh, and you know that you don't have a real uh, and genuine relationship with God, uh, that need can be the vehicle that takes you from where you are right now and takes you to where God wants you to be. But you've got to make up your mind. I'm going to respond to my need the way God desires me to respond. 
I believe that this thinking that I began to see need uh, as potentially a positive thing. Uh, I believe I began to see this many years ago when I used to counsel. I used to counsel juvenile felons and I used to counsel in drug treatment facilities. And uh, in that line of work, uh, as you can imagine, uh, everybody who came through the doors, uh, you could take one look at them, one look at their file, one look at their relationships, one look uh, at their records, and you could see a, a great need for change in their lives that the way they were living their lives it was destroying uh, every aspect of their life and uh, if something did not change uh, that their lives uh, itself would be uh, in jeopardy uh, but the sad reality in that line of work uh, is that the success rate is such that for every person that really does come in uh, and really manage to change uh, there'll be another 20 or 30 others uh, who will come uh, and they will leave in large part unaffected. Uh, they'll go from treatment facility to treatment facility. Uh, and the radical changes uh, that needed to take place uh, just simply was not taking place. Uh, and for me, that was something that was a problem uh, because it was not just a paycheck for me. Uh, it was a ministry for me. I wanted more than anything to see lives radically changed. But I began to see something in those uh, precious few that managed to change. And, and once I saw this characteristic uh, in those that managed to change, uh, it became something that I would later begin to teach. Uh, and this thing that I saw in those uh, that managed to change was simply this. Uh, the kind of radical change uh, that needed to take place in their lives uh, was never going to take place uh, until the need for change uh, became greater than the desire to remain the same. Uh, I'm trying to lay a foundation as to when uh, I began to see need possibly not as a negative thing but I began to see wait a minute uh, there might be something here where there can be something positive uh, in a need. Uh, I began to realize uh, that the need for change uh, had to become greater than the desire to remain the same uh, and I was very particular about where I used need and desire. Uh, I wasn't talking talking about a desire to change uh, but I was talking uh, about a very real need for change uh, because I learned that many of them when they came through the doors uh, they already had some measure of a desire to change. Uh, there really was a part of them uh, that really did want to change uh, but I learned that a simple desire to change uh, was just not becoming great enough uh, to overcome the even greater desire to remain the same uh, because everything about their lifestyle was working against them uh, and it was strengthening that desire to remain the same. Uh, they had established some culture and, and they had established some customs and they had established some relationships and, and even their own bodies were betraying them and, and everything about their life uh, was strengthening that desire to remain the same. Uh, and as much as I talked to them uh, about a desire to change, uh, it just wasn't overcoming the even greater desire to remain the same. Uh, but then I began to realize, God, uh, I've got to find a way uh, to get them beyond a simple desire to change. Uh, and I've got to get them to grab hold uh, of a very real need for change. Uh, somehow, some way, uh, I've got to get something to wake up in them uh, that says, wait a minute, uh, I was made to be more than this. Uh, God uh, has a greater purpose. God uh, has a greater plan uh, for my life. Uh, I was not born to be this. Uh, I was not born to 
live and die this way. But it doesn't matter what it's going to cost me. Something needs to change in my life. I can't afford to go another month like this. I can't afford to go another mile like this. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost me. I've got a need for change. If I can get you to see your situation for what it really is, what it's really costing you, what it's really doing to you, perhaps then uh, I can birth in you uh, a very real need uh, for change. It's no longer that I simply want to change, uh, but God knows I have to change. Uh, Something has uh, to give. Uh, What makes a need so powerful uh, is that by definition, uh, it makes something no longer optional. It's baked into the actual definition that that by definition, uh, it makes something absolutely necessary. Uh, And I say all the time, uh, you'll be surprised uh, as to what the human spirit can do when it grabs a hold of something as being absolutely necessary when it's no longer a simple desire but when you grab a hold of something and it becomes a need it becomes a matter of life and death when it becomes absolutely necessary you'll be surprised you'll be able to climb over things you thought you'd be bound by for the rest of your life you'll be able to push away from things you thought you would be bound to for the rest of your life. You'll be able to walk away from people you thought you would be bound to for the rest of your life. When something raises up in you and says, I've got an absolute need in my life. What makes, and when I think about need in this context, I think about the streets of Houston that I live in and that concrete jungle And sometimes I'm fascinated by where you can stand in that great expanse of of concrete and you can see uh, just in the tiniest of a a sliver of a crack, you can see how a a fragile plant uh, has found a way to grow surrounded by all those unfavorable conditions. Or I've seen circumstances where trees uh, have grown through solid rock because there's something uh, on the inside of those plants uh, that, that says, I don't just want the sunlight uh, but I've got to have the sunlight Uh, I don't just want the water but I've got to have the water Uh, I don't just want the air uh, but I've got to have the air Uh, no there's nobody promising me uh, I'll ever break through Uh, there's nobody guaranteeing me uh, I'll ever see the light of day Uh, there's nobody promising me uh, I'll ever see the sunlight Uh, but there's something on the inside uh, of a fragile plant uh, that says not pushing uh, is not an option Uh, not trying is not an option. Not giving it everything I've got is not an option. I've come to Atlanta West tonight, this morning, to preach that same defiance into somebody's spirit. I want something to raise up in somebody in this house. I've got to have it. I've got to have the air. I've got to have the sunlight. There's nobody promising me that anything will change, but I made up my mind that not pushing is not an option. 
said, uh, not trying uh, is not an option. Uh, not pressing uh, is not an option. Uh, not doing something uh, is not an option. Uh, because I've got a need this morning uh, that matters more than what my neighbor thinks. Uh, I've got a need this morning uh, that matters more than what the person sitting next to me uh, thinks about me. Uh, I've got a need this morning uh, that matters more than my comfort zone. Uh, I've got a need this morning uh, that matters more than what I'm used to. Uh, I've got a need this morning uh, that matters more than what you think a minister ought to be. Uh, I've got a need this morning uh, that matters more than anything else. Uh, and I can't afford to leave this house uh, the way I came, uh, but I must get a word, my God. I must get a word from God. I must get an answer from the Holy Ghost. I must get a lifting in my spirit. I must get a breakthrough in my family. Something has to shake. Something has to give. I'll beg. I'll crawl. I'll push. But something is about to change. I've got a need in my life that matters more than anything else. My God. See out of God. My God. My God. My God. My God. See out of God. My God. I feel I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I don't know what you might be dealing with this morning, but I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I don't know every need that's represented in this house, but I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I'm preaching here this morning that need generally has a negative connotation in our minds, but need can actually be the catalyst of something great. Need can be the motivation that changes your life from this day forward. Need can be the motivation that breaks out revival in Atlanta West like you've never seen before. But you've got to make up your mind. I'm not going to respond to my need the way the enemy wants me to respond. I'm not even going to respond to my need the way my flesh wants to respond. But I'm going to respond to my need this morning the way God desires me to respond. We read in 2 Kings in our text, and at that time in 2 Kings, Samaria found itself in a distressed situation. The armies of Syria had besieged Samaria and they were squeezing the life out of that city. And Samaria found itself in a time of great famine. Many times when I read this about Samaria, my mind goes back to the war in Liberia. And, and Pastor Johns mentioned the, the civil war that we went through there in Liberia where we were missionaries. But there was one city in particular, Balmy Hills. And, and if you're familiar with apostolic history in Africa and in Liberia in particular, you'll know that that's one of the oldest uh, mission stations and one of the first places uh, in all of Africa where this apostolic message was preached in, in modern-day Africa. But, but the city of Balmy Hills was at one point surrounded by enemy fighters. And, 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 and there's so many stories and, and so many people died and, and, and things that they had to to do and and when I read this about Samaria, I almost instinctively my mind I, I, I see in my mind's eye people that I know who have survived a similar circumstance and others who unfortunately I know who succumb to uh, a similar circumstance. 
But things in Samaria were so bad. The Bible says uh, that a donkey's head was being sold uh, for 80 shekels of silver. That's about $400 in modern day money. Things were so bad that they found themselves eating dove droppings. And they were actually selling dove droppings for five shekels of silver. That's about $25 in modern day money. But things in Samaria got so bad that we find probably the sickest story in all of scripture where two mothers got together and somehow unthinkably they conspired to kill and eat their own sons. And they did kill the son of the first lady and then uh, the second lady perhaps thinking a bit more clearly at that point went and hid her son. And, and, and when the first lady who had killed her son learned of the betrayal of the second lady, she went and complained to the king. And the Bible says this happened. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Let me stop and paint a picture as to what's happening with this king. Sackcloth is the clothing of mourning and despair. It's designed to be uncomfortable. It's made of a rough, coarse goat's hair. It's designed uh, to be a constant scratching reminder that things are not well. Whenever you were wearing sackcloth, every, every time you moved, you would feel that scratching reminder that I'm in a low place. I'm in a dark time. I'm in a time of mourning and pain. I'm in a, a distressing uh, situation. And so what was happening with this king was evidently he was waking up and uh, in the privacy of uh, that royal kingly bedchamber when nobody was around, he was putting on uh, that sackcloth, that clothing uh, of mourning and despair, that uncomfortable reminder that we are in uh, a bad situation. Uh, but before he would leave the privacy uh, of those kingly bedchambers, uh, he would cover that sackcloth up uh, with the royal fabrics and uh, the royal colors, uh, the fine linens, the fine silks, and and all the kingly robes. Uh, and so when he walked out of his bedchamber, when the people looked at the king, uh, all they saw were the fine robes uh, and the kingly clothes. Uh, but that's not what he was feeling. Uh, beneath all those fine kingly robes, uh, he was feeling the constant scratching uh, of his despair uh, and his pain, uh, his hopelessness, uh, his helplessness, uh, and his distress. Uh, but when he finally got a bit of news uh, from this mother who had killed her own son, uh, it finally pushed that king uh, beyond the breaking point. Uh, and the king said, it doesn't matter what anybody sees anymore. Uh, it doesn't matter what anybody says anymore. Uh, and the king pulled off all those fine kingly robes. Uh, and the people could see for the first time uh, that the king was really wearing sackcloth. Uh, I've said all that to say this. Uh, that's exactly where the enemy uh, wants to get the people of God uh, in our times and places of need. Uh, that's exactly where the enemy uh, wants to get the people of God uh, in our times and places uh, of distress, uh, in our low times, uh, and in our times of pain. Uh, he wants us to learn uh, how to go through life uh, feeling one way, uh, but looking another way. Uh, he wants us to learn uh, how to go through life uh, when there's nobody else around. Uh, we put on that sackcloth. Uh, when there's nobody else around, uh, we put on that uncomfortable reminder of our pain but we've learned how to dress it up 
we've learned how to cover it up uh, with the kingly robes. Uh, I was born and raised in Pentecost. Uh, I've been around this thing my whole life. Uh, I know how to put on kingly robes. Uh, I know how to put on a suit uh, and come to the house of God uh, and shake everybody's hand uh, and nobody know the distress uh, that I've been facing. Uh, nobody know the low time uh, that I've been walking through. Uh, nobody know the discouragement of mind and spirit uh, I've been facing all week. Uh, nobody know the distress uh, that I've been struggling with. Uh, I've learned how to cover it up uh, as long as nobody sees uh, where I really am. Uh, it doesn't matter what I'm feeling. Uh, I can cover it up uh, and I can make it through. Uh, but I've come to tell somebody in Atlanta West, uh, that's not the will of God in your time and place of need. That's not the will of God in your times of trouble. God does not desire that you learn how to go through life looking one way but feeling another way. But God desires you to say, yes, I've got a need, but I thank God I've also got an altar. Yes, I'm in a low place, but I thank God I serve the kind of God who can be touched with the feelings of my infirmity. Yes, I'm walking through a dark time, but I'm not walking alone because he walks with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because I don't just see what's around me. I know who's with me. My rod, my staff, my comforter. I refuse to go through life with my sackcloth covered up by my kingly robes. Not as long as there's a God in heaven who can heal me from the inside out. Not as long as there's a God in heaven who can make me feel kingly and look kingly. Not as long as there's a God in heaven who can make me whole through and through. My God. My God, somebody needs to hear this. The enemy will have you live the rest of your life with your sackcloth covered up by kingly robes. The enemy will have you live the rest of your life. I know how to do it. I know how to cover things up and nobody know where I am. But that's not the will of God in your time and place of need. It's time to say I've got a need and I can be real about it. I've got a need and I can grab a hold of that need and do with that need what God desires to do. But in the midst of all this that was happening in Samaria, people eating dove droppings and mothers killing their babies, surrounded by an enemy that was on the verge of victory. The great prophet Elisha had a prophecy. In the middle of all of this, Elisha looked at the people and said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow, about this time, six liters of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel. That's just $5. And 12 liters of barley for a shekel at the gates of Samaria. No doubt people thought the old prophet had finally lost his mind. Here we are paying $25 for dove droppings. And you're telling us that in just 24 hours, things are going to turn around so dramatically that we'll be able to buy six liters of fine flour for $5 at the gates of this city. What you say, old man, is impossible. Look around you. Open your eyes. What you say is impossible. 
was surrounded by an enemy on the verge of victory. He has uh, no reason to leave. What you say uh, is impossible. I say all the time, I love when somebody gets a word from God. Stand flat footed, look you in the eye. Say, I know what it feels like. I know what it looks like. I know what your eyes are screaming. I know what everybody else is saying about your circumstance. I know what the enemy has been whispering in the midnight hour. I know what your reality is. Yes, it is reality that you're trapped in this city. Yes, it is reality that you don't have any food. Yes, it is reality that people are dying. Yes, it is reality that you're surrounded by an enemy that seems uh, to have more weapons than you. But but I've heard a word from God uh, and God says in spite of everything you see, uh, he's about to step in uh, and when he steps in, uh, he's about to do a quick work. Uh, is there anybody in Atlanta West uh, who can receive a word of prophecy? Uh, I don't care what might be surrounding you. Is there anybody who can receive a word of prophecy tomorrow about this time? You can have your joy back. Tomorrow about this time, you can have your peace back. Tomorrow about this time, you can have your passion back. Tomorrow about this time, you can have your dance back. Tomorrow about this time, you can have your ministry back. Tomorrow about this time, you can have your calling back. Tomorrow about this time, you can have your purpose back tomorrow about this time you can have your dance back my God tomorrow about this time you can have your song back and all it takes is one word and God can turn it around God I feel faith rising in this house I feel faith rising in this house my God somebody's got to believe this the enemy has you convinced that you're going to die in your dilemma. The enemy has you convinced that you're going to perish in this predicament. The enemy has you convinced that what is always shall be. But is there anybody who can receive a word of prophecy? God can do something today and you can wake up tomorrow and everything can be different. My God, my God, my God. My God, my, there, there's somebody who's still not believing it. There's somebody you've been cast down, you've been beat down uh, for so long. You've been you've been beat down for so long that that your faith has been damaged. Uh, I've come to preach a message of faith. Uh, I've come to preach a message uh, that in spite of what's going on, uh, there's an anointing in this house uh, that you don't have to leave the way you came. There's an anointing in this house uh, that God can turn it around. Uh, there's an anointing in this house uh, that God can bring purpose out of your pain. My God. My God. I've got to hurry. I've got to hurry. But hear me when I say it was the great prophet Elisha who heard from God and spoke those words that seemed to be impossible tomorrow about this time. But it was not the great prophet Elisha who made it happen. He was not the catalyst for the miracle. Because while all of this was happening in the city, the famine, mothers killing their babies, the prophecy, while all of this is happening in the city, what we read as our text this morning was happening at the same time, simultaneously at the gates of the city. And so we read in our text, and there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, 
then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. We know what's happening in the city. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now, having considered our options, they said, now, therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. Let's march towards the enemy. Because if they save us alive, we'll live. But if they kill us, all we're going to do is die anyway. Can you imagine that predicament? Four men, their bodies are being eaten away by this leprosy. And when they look at their lives, they realize that it doesn't matter what it took to get us to this point. But from this point, our lives boil down to three options. From this point, all we can do is one of three things. We can go back to the city where we came from. We can stay where we are. Or we can march towards the enemy. There are no other options. And when you examine these options... None of these options seem to be good options. They all carry the very likelihood of death. It seems that no matter what these four men do, there's a good chance they're going to die. If they go back to the city, more than likely they're going to die because there's a famine in the city. And even the able-bodied people are dying in the city. They know what's happening in the city. And if we sit still where we are, we know that we're going to die because we recognize that we're dying where we lay. And if we march towards the enemy, there's a great chance that we're going to die because the enemy came all the way from Syria to kill us. But I believe there was a wisdom in these four lepers men. They knew they had to make a decision. Let me just stop right here and say that sitting still is a decision. Staying where you are is a decision. Being stagnant for the rest of your life is a decision. These men understood we've got to make a decision. And none of these decisions seem to be great options. None of these options seem to be great. But I believe they had the wisdom to recognize that of these three seemingly bad options, there's one that's different from the other two. Because of these three options, there's only one option we haven't tried yet. Of these three directions, there's only one direction we haven't been to yet. Can I talk to somebody this morning who's in a time and place of need? But in your time and place of need, it's not time to entertain the option of going back to the city where you came from. Because you know what's happening where you came from. There's a famine where you came from. People are dying every day where you came from. And you know that you almost died when you were there. It's not time to entertain the option of going backwards in your time and place of need. And it's not time to entertain the option of sitting paralyzed and stagnant where you are until you die. But I wish somebody here this morning would make up your mind like these four leprous men in my time. Time and place of need. I might as well go somewhere I've never been before. I might as well try an option I've never tried before. I might as well go in a direction I've never been to before. I might as well reach for something I've never had before. No, there's no guarantee. I don't have anybody promising me what's going to happen when I get there. There's nobody guaranteeing how the story is going to play out. But this one thing I do know, if I go back 
back to the city, I'm going to die. If I stay where I am, I'm going to die. I might as well go somewhere I've never been before. I might as well reach for something I've never had before. Yes, it might be a place of pain, but it also might be a place of healing. Yes, it might be a place of death, but it also might be a place of victory. Yes, I might fall flat on my face, but I'm also mounted up on wings like an eagle. Yes, I might make a fool of myself, or I might mess around and step into the will of God for my life, but I won't know until I try. I won't know until I step out. I won't know until I do something I've never done before. I won't know until I try something I've never tried before. I won't know until I give up something I've never given up before. I won't know until I grab a hold of something I've never grabbed a hold of before. So very quickly, the Bible says that these four leprous men, they gather their remaining strength. And they begin to drag themselves towards the enemy. No weapons. No physical ability to fight an army. But they had just enough strength. They might have had to help each other. But they had just enough strength to say, we're going to march towards the enemy. And God somehow translated the sound of four broken, shuffling, leprous men. And God made the enemy hear the sound of horses and chariots. And the enemy thought an army had come to save Samaria. The Bible says the enemy, they all ran for their lives. They left the food behind. They left the supplies behind. They left the provision behind uh, and they ran for their lives. Um, I'm preaching here today that there's something uh, uniquely powerful uh, about a child of God uh, who needs something to happen. Uh, there's something uniquely powerful uh, about a child of God uh, who in their time and place of need uh, will throw themselves upon the mercies of God uh, with a reckless abandon. Uh, there's something powerful uh, about a child of God uh, in a time and place of need. But if God could do this with four weakened, broken, leprous men, imagine what God could have done with all of those who were in the city of Samaria. This morning I submit to you that those in the city had not reached this place of need that I'm preaching about. There's something singularly powerful about this place of need that I'm preaching about. You see, those in the city, yes, they were desperate. And when I first began to study this, I was using the word desperation. They were desperate, but they had not reached this place of need that I'm preaching about. You see, what I realized by looking at the word desperation is that by definition, desperation is characterized by rash and reckless decisions. And then what I realized was, wait a minute, killing and eating your baby, that's an act of desperation. That's a rash and reckless decision. But I'm preaching about something beyond desperation. Because you see, with desperation, there's this implication that you have options. They might be desperate options. You might have to do some things that you'd rather not do. 
You might have to do some unseemly things. You might have to do things you told yourself you would never do. You might have to live in a way you told yourself you would never live. But with desperation, there is this implication. I've got options. I can survive. I can stay here. I can maneuver. I can make it through the week. I could make it through the month. And you see what happened to get those people in the city to that place of desperation was they were dying in that city. But they had deluded themselves into believing that they were living. So they were willing to do anything to stay alive. Even the most unthinkable of unthinkable things to stay alive. But what separated these four lepers men from those in the city and what pushed them to this place of need that I'm preaching about this morning is that those four lepers men were not under any false illusions. When they looked at themselves, they didn't lie to themselves and say we're living. They looked at themselves and they said we're dying. So why sit we here until we die? That's what pushes you beyond that desperation and pushes you to that place of need. I don't have any options, God. If I'm honest with myself, I don't really have any options. Come to talk to somebody in this house who's tired of going from desperate decision to desperate decision. Yes, you found a way to survive. Yes, you found a way to maneuver. Yes, you found a way to make it through the week. Yes, killing and eating the baby, that act of desperation. Yes, it buys you a few more days and it gets you through that week. But when you wake up on Monday, you'll realize that you're trapped in the same city that you've always been trapped in. You're surrounded by the same enemy that you've always been surrounded by. I'm going to talk to somebody who's tired of being where you've always been. You're surrounded by the same enemy you've always been surrounded by. You're in the same predicament that you've been stuck in for the last five years. Is there anybody in this house who's tired of going from desperate decision to desperate decision? Yes, I found a way to make it through the week. Yes, I found a way to make it through the month. But I'm ready now to do something that's going to open the windows of heaven. I'm ready now to do something that's going to change my life from this day forward. I'm ready now to do something that's going to make me be able to say I'm walking out of this city. I'm walking out of this circumstance once and for all. I'm never going to see this enemy again. Everything is about to change in my life. But this all began with the courage of those four lepers men to look at themselves and say we're dying. It takes a great deal of strength and courage to look in the mirror and say I'm not living where I am. I'm dying. Yes, I'm here. But I'm dying. I don't have the abundant life that I know that God has meant for me to have. I'm not living where I am. I'm dying. So I cannot afford to live here. I cannot afford 
to stay here. I find it interesting that it was a group of lepers that reached this point of realization. Because many times it's easy to sit in a group of lepers and not acknowledge that we're dying as individuals. Somebody needs to hear this. Many times the human tendency is to sit in a group of lepers and then we begin to compare ourselves among ourselves. Yes, I've got leprosy. Yes, I've lost some things, but I'm doing better than him. I'm doing better than her. Look, she can't even walk anymore. He can't even walk anymore. But sometimes all it takes is one person that has the courage and the strength to say I'm dying where I am and I'm not satisfied with that. I'm dying and I'm not okay with that. Something has to give and there's something about that spoken declaration that can begin to trigger action where people begin to say we can't go back to where we came from and we can't afford to stay where we are. Our only option now is to go forward to a place that we've never been before. A place that we might not be sure about. I can't say for sure what's going to happen when we get there. But I do know what's going to happen if I stay where I am because I know that I'm dying where I lay. I know how the enemy operates. The enemy shows up when you're dying and the enemy then begins to whisper, you're dying. So you might as well lay there and die. You're dying. So you might as well just make sure nobody knows where you are. You're dying. So you might as well go quietly into the night. You're dying. So you might as well make sure brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so doesn't see that you're dying but I've come to preach a real defiance into somebody's spirit where somebody will square your shoulders and say if I'm gonna die I'm not gonna die like this if I'm gonna die I'm gonna die standing on my own two feet if I'm gonna die I'm gonna die facing the enemy I might be shuffling my God I might be limping I might be weakened I might be compromised by the leprosy but if I'm gonna die I'm going to pull myself together and I'm going to stand on my own two feet. And if I'm going to die, I'm going to die facing the enemy. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die trying to be the man that God has called me to be. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die trying to be the minister that God has ordained me to be. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die trying to be the lady that God has called me to be. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die reaching for purpose. But I refuse to lay here and allow the leprosy to pick me apart piece by piece and limb by limb. I refuse to lay here until I can't move. I refuse to lay here until I can't smile. I refuse to lay here until I can't sing. I refuse to lay here until I can't walk. I refuse to lay here and die like this. My God. If I'm going to die, I'm not going to die like this. I'm going to march towards the enemy. And my need can cause me to move forward to a place where God has the provision, the healing I need, the deliverance that I've been desiring. So the Bible says 
These lepers ate and drank. They got to the enemy's camp. They found it empty. They ate and they drank. They took some silver. And then they said, wait a minute. We've got to go back to the city and tell everybody about this. Matter of fact, the Bible says they say we do not well if we don't go back to the city and tell everybody about the provision that we found. You see, if you respond to your need the way God desires you to respond to your need this morning, you'll learn much like these four leprous men that your situation was about so much more than just you and your situation. You see, they made a move hoping perhaps maybe to save their own lives. But they would end up being the vehicle that God would use to save an entire nation. I was just hoping to save my own life. I didn't realize that there was something greater going on and that I was going to be the vessel that God was going to use to fulfill his promise. When you respond to your need the way God desires you to respond to your need, You then become uniquely qualified. You can go back to the city with the testimony like nobody else has. Yesterday, I was where you are. Yesterday, I was broken. Yesterday, I was hopeless. Yesterday, I had no joy, no peace, no purpose. Uh, Yesterday, uh, I didn't see how I was going to make it through. Yesterday, uh, I thought I was at the end of my rope. Uh, Yesterday, uh, I thought my story was coming to an end. uh, But I made a move and respond to my need. uh, And look at me now, my God. Uh, Look at the joy. Look at the peace. Uh, Look at the purpose. Uh, And if you'll just follow me... uh, I can lead you to a place of provision. If you'll just follow me, I can lead you to a place of more than enough. If you'll just follow me, I can lead you to a place where God will supply every one of your needs. So the Bible says very quickly, then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So six liters of fine flour was sold for a shekel. And 12 liters of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Just the way God said it was going to happen in those 24 hours, it happened. Here's the crux of my message here this morning. That when God spoke that word of prophecy to Elisha, what he was going to do in those 24 hours. God in all of the splendor, the majesty, the glory of heaven. God was not looking down at the great prophet Elisha and counting on Elisha to be the one to make it happen. He wasn't counting on Elisha to be the catalyst. But God in all the splendor, the majesty, the glory of heaven was looking down past the great prophet Elisha. And God was looking at four broken, weakened Leprous men, the most weak and vulnerable and unprotected people in the entire equation. And that's who God was counting on to look at their circumstance and make a decision. We're not going backwards. We're not staying where we are. We're going to gather our remaining strength and we're going to march towards the enemy. Yes, it was the great prophet who spoke the word of prophecy. 
but it was somebody else's need that made it happen. It was somebody else saying, I can't go one more day where I am. It was somebody with the courage to say, I'm dying where I am and I'm not going to stay here. Somebody with the courage to say, people are dying where I've been and I'm dying where I am. I might as well move forward. It was that that was the catalyst to bring it to pass. Could it be that when God prophesied all the great things that he's going to do in this church and through this church over the years, the great things that God is doing and is planning on doing and the even I believe God wants to do things that would blow your mind. Some of y'all have heard the prophecies. But could it be that when God spoke what he wanted to do, that he was not counting on those who prophesied it to be the catalyst? Could it be that God is not even counting on Pastor John's to be the catalyst? But could it be that God in all the glory of heaven is looking down at people under the sound of my voice this morning in times and places of need. And that's who God is counting on to look at your circumstance and make some decisions. No, my need is not going to drive me backwards, not one step, my God. No, my need is not going to paralyze me and make me stagnant. And stay where I am until I die. But my need is about to propel me forward. My need is about to make me go somewhere I've never been before. My need is about to make me give up something I thought I'd never be able to give up. My need is about to drive me forward. There's a crossroad that you'll come to. A place beyond desperation. And you have to have the courage to recognize your need and embrace your need. If we're honest with ourselves in church, we sometimes make it too easy or even too customary to be like that king with our sackcloth covered up by kingly robes. If I can say this without getting in trouble, sometimes we'll tell you what the kingly robes ought to look like. We'll tell you what, the, what you need to, how you need to look and how you need to dress things up. And, and too many times in church, instead of embracing our need the way God desires us to embrace our need, we find ourselves going through life like that king with our sackcloth. As long as nobody can tell where I really am, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. As long as nobody can really tell what I'm struggling with, and what's happening in my mind and my spirit, I can make it. But it takes a great deal of courage to say, God, I'm not living where I am. I'm dying where I am. 
I'm not all the way dead. I, so I thank God for that because that means I can still make a move. But I've got to do something now because I don't know how many days I have left in me. I don't know how many years I can, my God. I don't know how many years I can stay where I am. But something has to change. It's time for somebody to turn some things around against the enemy. The enemy has somebody just about convinced that you're going to have to sit where you are and stay where you are. You're going to accept where he does. He doesn't expect to hear footsteps coming from your direction. He thinks he's got you just about where he wants you. He doesn't expect uh, to see you get up and shuffle towards the enemy. Uh, and he has somebody in this house uh, just about convinced uh, that you're in a place where you're going to have to tap out. Uh, but I've come to tell somebody in the Holy Ghost, uh, when you're at that point, uh, you don't have to tap out. Uh, but you're in a place uh, where you can tap in. Uh, to the supernatural. You can tap in to the mercies of God. You can tap in to the grace of God. You can tap in to your purpose. You can tap in to your destiny. Yes, weeping may endure for a night, but tomorrow, about this time, everything could have changed. Tomorrow, about this time, everything could have come back. Tomorrow, about this time, everything could have been done and we stand all over this building I believe it's time to turn some things around against the enemy you thought you had me you thought my need was going to defeat me you thought my need was going to discourage me you thought my need was going to make me move backwards you thought my need was going to paralyze me. But I've made up my mind that I'm not going to allow the enemy to be the one to meet me at my point of need. But I'm going to allow my need to do what God intended it to do. Because there's something powerful about this whole scenario. In that the provision was always there in the enemy's camp. The food that they needed to survive, all the supplies that they needed. For days, for weeks, the provision was always there. But God never did bring the provision to where they were. God allowed a need in their life that was designed to push them to where the provision was. And how many times in our times and places of need do we sit paralyzed where we are? Frustrated. God, you know my need. You know my need. Why haven't you brought the provision? You know the healing I need. You know the deliverance I need. You know the lifting in my mind and my spirit that I need. You know the encouragement that I need. You know the oppressive and depressing spirits that I need lifted out of my mind. Why haven't you brought the provision? 
to where I am. I've come this morning to preach to somebody that there are times where God is not going to bring the provision to where you are. But God will allow a need in your life that's designed to push you to where the provision is. Push you beyond anywhere you've ever been before. Make you step out of the places you've never stepped out into before. Make you walk in a kind of faith you've never walked in before. It's designed not to defeat you. It's designed not to discourage you. It's designed not to redefine you. It's not designed to become your new reality. But it's designed to motivate you to go where you've never been. It's designed to push you to the throne of grace. It's designed to propel you into the destiny. She ought to and into the purpose that God has for you. Is there anybody here this morning who can join me in saying today my need for change is greater than my desire to remain the same? My need for change is greater than my comfort zone. My need for change is greater than what anybody else sees or thinks about me. Because more than anything, I want to be where God wants me to be. More than anything, I want the provision that God has for my life. More than anything, I want the purpose that God has for my life. And this morning, my need is going to drive me there. My need is going to drive me there. Come on, these altars are open right now. I want you to see this not just as a simple walk to the altar, but see yourself in the Holy Ghost like those four leprous men. You need to see yourself right now getting up and moving forward. Let this be symbolic. Come on, let this be symbolic. I'm getting up and I'm moving forward. I might not have all the strength that I need. Yes, I've had the leprosy. Yes, it's taken his soul. I'm a little bit weak right now. I'm a little bit weary right now. I'm a little bit wounded right now. But I've got enough strength to get up and move forward. And God can do the rest. I've got enough strength to go somewhere I've never been before. I've got enough strength to reach for something I've never had before. In the name of Jesus. Oh, come on, that's it. In the name of Jesus, we exercise our dominion. In the name of Jesus, we bind every hindrance. In the name of Jesus, we bind every spiritual obstacle that will keep somebody from moving forward. In the name of Jesus, we bind every guilt. We bind every self-condemnation. We bind every trick of the enemy that's designed to keep somebody where they've always been. In the name of Jesus. Give somebody the courage. I'm not going to stay here until I die. I'm not dying in this place. I'm not dying in this place, but I shall live and not die. My family shall live and not die. 
My ministry shall live and not die. My purpose shall live and not die. My anointing shall live and not die. My calling shall live and not die. My relationship shall live and not die. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it all across this building. I'm moving forward in the Holy Ghost. All across this building, I'm moving forward. Forgetting those things that are behind me. I'm about to press into my purpose. I'm about to press. 